I like the whiteboard. I use that a lot. But. Sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm going to believe that? Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I, how you doing? Uh, You're good, tired. Good. Yeah, you've already told me. Working on a lot of gigs. I got Thursday through Sunday this week. Wow. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, ba- back in Bandera on Saturday. Oh, yeah? This time it's like a classic rock, like Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, the band. Oh. Just like you- guitar solos for days. <laughs> nice. Pentatonic minor, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Allman <laughs> Brothers is a little more interesting than that, actually. They do a lot of cool stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, yeah. A lot of, like, Dorian scales and Lydian yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> God help us all. No, no. It's the, just one of those, it's, it's funny because the, uh, the guy who booked me asked if I, if I felt like I needed a second guitar player on the gig. And this was, like, a month ago. And I was like, no, 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 it'll be fine. And then I started going through the set list and learning it. It's like, whoa, this is yeah. a lot of guitar solos. Yeah. So who's, what's the, what is the guy who booked uh, His name's Paul Corliss. What does he play? He's just a singer. Okay, cool. Yeah. So okay, he, just, so he just put the band together. But. Gotcha, gotcha. Is that kind of how most of the Austin sort of gigging stuff works? Is that like, it's just you got a bunch of musicians and then just people sort of self-organize into a bunch of whatever yeah. needs to get done, basically? Pretty pretty much. Um, there are some sort of intact bands, but that's sort of the, the gigging world is just like you're a hired gun kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. I mean, and you said you're liking this a lot more than when you were in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a lot of work yeah. learning a three-hour set. And it's like for this one, I'm writing out charts and everything because the songs are like surprisingly specific and difficult. Well, yeah, and this is, the, I mean, especially with songs that everybody knows, it's like like with Freebird, which I assume right. you'll probably play, right? Actually, no Freebird. We got Simple <laughs> no Man. Bird? What? Yeah. <laughs> I guess because it's so trite now, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But we're doing we're doing Ramblin' Man, Almond Brothers. And, yeah. yeah. Whipping, uh, what is Whipping it? Post, Whipping Post, yep, that's yeah. on there. That's a fun tune. Yeah. In, a, yeah. in 11-8 time. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. Yep. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, did you listen? Well, so we're we're gonna obviously we'll talk about the second. Uh, we'll talk about Michael's chapter from mm-hmm. Machiavellians, but uh, uh, you know that's what we'll be talking about mostly today. <laughs> right. But I have a question. Did you did you see that Roger Waters re-released, re-recorded uh, "Dark Side of the Moon"? <laughs> no. Wait, re-recorded. <laughs> he re-recorded it. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Is it terrible? No, it's it's different. My uh, it, my bet would be. Fall pretty flat. Well, it's just what are you looking for from it? Like I think sure. most people are still going to listen to Dark Side of the Moon. Right. But from an artistic perspective, and I could see also just years down the line, it is kind of interesting to see like, okay, what did twenty something or I don't know, maybe they were in their thirties by the time they did Dark Side, but Probably. what did young Roger Waters, you know, think the music should sound like? And right. what does old Roger Waters think the music should sound like? Um, yeah. and, and, but it's very different. I mean, he's, he's 81 and, and so he's basically just talk singing the whole time. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and it is kind of depressing because it's just, you know, he's talking about death a lot in right. the, in the album mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, 10 years <laughs> have got behind you. No one told you when to run, you missed the starting gun. So like just all those lyrics, when you hear like, you know, old Roger mm-hmm. Waters singing it, yep. it just does kind of hit you differently. So, 
but it's a little cathartic in that sense, right? Uh, right. But anyway, okay. So there's my there's <laughs> there's Mr. X's review. <laughs> there's this funny thing. I have a thing with Pink Floyd though because I yeah. like the idea of Pink Floyd as a band and not just yeah. Roger Waters. And I mm-hmm. and I feel like as time has gone on, it Pink Floyd is. I mean, Roger Waters is Pink Floyd, and all those other people are like side things because like the Pink Floyd they did without him is. Pretty lame, most yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean, Division Bell has some good stuff, but it's hard for me to tell whether I really like it just because <sighs> yeah. I, like, the my dad would. Of the I Division know, Bell I know. Like, honestly, I know I don't listen to it now, but like, my dad listened to it back in the day. The grass so I have, was like, greener. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, dude, the division bell, man. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, so I, it might just be nostalgic memory for it because mm-hmm. I agree. It's, uh, I mean, when you just you can't compare it to like you know, wish you were here or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely see that. I mean, David Gilmore, though. It, yeah, to your point, it was certainly instrumental to their success. I mean, they basically started having success when David Gilmore. <laughs> Got right. in the band. It, but it's pretty full-time. funny, like when you watch interviews with him and he's so depressed about it too. Because yeah. he'd always say, I'd have an idea. Mm-hmm. And then Roger would say, No, that's not right. Let's do it like this. Yeah. And he'd be like, And he was always right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. People like that are very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, they don't, I, as far as I understand it, they don't like each other at all. Oh no, they they are at each other's throats now, and yeah. I mean, there's all this stuff about anti-Semitism because he's. Roger oh yeah, Waters I've had and, conversations yeah. out here with musicians who are just like done with Roger Waters. Right, 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 and so you know, it got pretty, um, like th- yeah, because I follow Roger Waters and David Gilmore right. on Instagram, and like just like a year ago, they were going back and forth. Oh. Uh, I think actually, David Gilmore's wife was going after. Uh, Roger Waters. So it's just a whole thing. Yeah, I agree. It's just like, okay, everybody else just wants to see him get along because they just want to go hear Pink Floyd. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Yeah, so. I mean, talking about dictatorial people, right? Because, I mean, this is the law of oligarchy, right? Right. And also they had this whole thing about Bonapartism, mm-hmm. which is basically a type of despotism that uh, Burnham would classify Mao and Stalin and all right, that. Right, right. Sort of, they come across as if they're democratically elected, but then they sort of use that to be despots because they say, you know, we're fulfilling the will of the people. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, anyway, so um, I don't know. So, do you want to... So, wanna, Michaels, you, is it is it Michaels? Yeah. I was just, the whole time I was wondering about the pronunciation. It's of probably it. Mikel, I don't know. Right, because he's is Italian. He, yeah, well, he's German, and then he spent most of his time in Italy. But, but his yeah. name's Roberto. Yeah, I think it says German, but it doesn't matter. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, he's a German named Roberto. Maybe he was born. Yeah, okay. German-born Italian. So he was born in Germany, but yeah. Right. He was an Italian. He was an Itai. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) matter. Yeah. Yeah, I started started reading a supplemental. uh, I started reading one of his essays, actually, called Eugenics in Party Organization. (laughs) Was it good? Uh, I haven't finished it. It's okay. I it, I think it has to do with like breeding leaders. Mm. He's definitely yeah, is, uh, a fascist. 
<laughs> well, well, he joined. He joined the fascist right, party. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. No, it's funny because I'm I'm looking at his uh, Wikipedia. He belonged to the Italian school of elitism, <laughs> and he's best known for his political parties book, which is basically what James Burnham is analyzing right. in this, mm -hmm. uh, which contains the description of the Iron Law of Oligarchy, which we'll talk about here. Um, oh, he was a friend and disciple of Max Weber. Nice. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, I would say that reading this one, I more or less agree with a number of his assertions. Mm -hmm. And I think that he and I would end up in a different place. Yeah, well, I'm especially interested in uh, your opinion about anarchy. Like, he oh, yeah, gives yeah, that his, thing about his anarchy. a little bit on anarchy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I think he's, he's right in the extreme. I think that my brand of anarchy is not a total anarchy. It's not, yeah. it's not that no. there's no organizational right. principles in right. any aspect of society. It right. has specifically to do with there not being uh, governmental forms right. of leadership. Not that there's no form of leadership anywhere. Right. And so I don't, I, the whole time, when I was reading that, the whole, I was thinking like, is this a straw man? Are there people who, who want to organize this way where there's literally no leadership anywhere? And like I don't know, maybe like hippies and communes kind of a thing. Yeah, Luke, or you know, we are change right. guy. I think right, he's right. like that. Um, uh, yeah, so we should probably back up and, and explain sure. a little bit more. I mean, do you want I uh, do you want to try to do a summary, or I can sure try to, sure I, I I can try. I, I I don't know if I'll hit all the points because he had yeah, he organized it well, but yes, to me is basically a takedown of democracy in well maybe not. Hang on, let me reframe that. It's uh, yeah, an argument it's as down. to why democracy cannot work in principle. And then going at the different aspects of where democracy is sort of self-contradictory and fails sort of definitionally within itself. And then it talks about a, f uh, a few different brands of democratic argumentation that don't work and it sort of culminates in the idea of the iron law of oligarchy, suggesting that not only can democracy not work, but all organizational systems default to oligarchy and will tend in that direction over time. Right. Right. And, um, yeah, I think that was, that was basically it. And, yeah, it wasn't a takedown because at the end, right. Michaels is basically saying how, wow, democracy is yeah, he kinda not likes perfect. It. It's the worst of the evils. That you, it's, the, it's the best of the worst, basically, and it's, right. and it's worth striving for. But, yeah, because to your point, he sort of uses, I think, specifically, like, perfect democracy in its perfection. And it's mm -hmm. more of what I think is a really interesting point was it's the scale point, which is, I think, what I was sort of trying to articulate when we were doing the anarchy debates, mm -hmm. you could say, because that's the, that's the point that I think people haven't sufficiently addressed in the anarchy school that at least I, I, you know, somebody may have addressed it. I'm just not familiar with it. I don't okay. feel like we addressed it in any of the writings of this idea that I think you could have anarchy just like you could have democracy mm -hmm. in all of these sort of pure forms on a small scale as he sort of started the the chapter right, right, right. 12 talking people, about yeah, yeah. 12 people you know you can have a perfect democracy in that setting but as soon as you start to increase the size yes it's not a continuous thing it's just as you or it is a continuous thing it's not a discrete well right. it's discrete in the sense that there's discrete numbers of people okay anyway um it doesn't scale you, well well 
it's not linear, I guess is maybe yeah. all I'm saying, is right. uh, as you scale it, you then run into this issue where the organization mm-hmm. itself need, or it, you need uh, a leadership or a minority within the organization just to run the democracy. Right. And once you start doing that, that's when you start to fall into the iron law of oligarchy because you have all of these factors that sort of make an oligarchy happen whenever you have organizations on a large scale. Right. And, uh, I, I and, agree with respect to democracy. I don't know that I necessarily agree in an anarchist context, in all anarchist contexts. Well, but this is where it's like, I think that you're being a little bit... Uh, I, I can explain suf- why I think Yes, it's different. because I don't think you've sufficiently addressed how you could have anarchy with organization. <laughs> I still don't, you know, and that's why I think it's interesting. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think, let's I, do it. I, you're right, I, but I don't think, that's what I'm saying. I, you're, I don't think you can have anything without organization. Yes. So I don't, anarchy a, or anything. But, so maybe but, we should call, why are we calling it anarchy? Maybe that you're not an anarchist, that is the point. Yeah, yeah, I... Uh, I would say I am an anti-state. If if I'm being, I agree. I mean, I say this to people, and they, you know, I say I'm not actually a full anarchist, and they go, "Yes, mm-hmm. you are." I think it's a it's an easy way to sort of encapsulate approximately where I am. I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a totalitarian anarchist because I I agree. I don't. I think that leadership is an important um, aspect to human organization. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm talking about coercive leadership that I'm against. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I believe that coercive leadership is necessary for the organization of society. Well, I, and I think mm-hmm. that democracy is by definition coercive. Like I'm completely anti-democracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, is it because of what he's saying? How is as soon as you start to have representation, the logical end of that is the Bonapartism, where you just have no, you know, not not even that. I mean, I think yes, democracy is sort of a self-contradictory idea, and I I agree with where he's coming from with that, and I, I see his trajectory. It's more that the idea that um, I am called upon to be a governor of everybody else, because he he's talking about self-govern. He he mentions self-governing, but I wouldn't call democracy a system of self-governing. I would call democracy a system of sort of everybody governing everybody else. Because if it's, if it's a majority rule system, if it's a one vote, one voice kind of a thing, that means that I'm actually voting to control other people because I mm-hmm. want my rules to go through. How is that different than democracy by the people? Is that what you said? Isn't that it? You're saying you're controlling people, so... I'm, I'm not saying it's vote. different. I'm saying that's what I see democracy as being, and I'm against that. Oh, okay, sorry, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, when I say self-governing, like if I'm talking about it for myself, I mean that I don't get to dictate rules for other people and other yes, people but don't this is Yes, but this is why I feel like you are saying that you're against organizations. I don't see how you can reconcile no delegation and still have organizations. Because it, it, it all comes down to the coercive line. So, yes, you can agree that uh, but we've, we've, you're going to be in charge this. of something. And yes, I, like it, you'll be in charge yes. of audio editing. And I'm right. not going to tell you what to do with that. And but I'll be in charge happens, of something else. But what happens when I come across something where the delegation hasn't been exactly... 
permitted and I just go ahead and do something. You know what I mean? It's like there's all of the mm-hmm. gray areas. That's the point is that nothing is delegated. Well, perfectly. no, because We've there's no coercion this. in this. In, no, but in there what is in a sense, there is coercion as soon as I do something that you're not f- completely knowledgeable about and it happens to be something that you don't like. That's when coercion can come into play, right? Maybe. Because I mean, like, I don't I'm, think coercion is doing things people don't like. It's forcing me to do something I don't like. Right. And yes, yeah, so, I mean, we can get into a whole yeah, <laughs> thing about, you know, <laughs> like the philosophy of what coercion really is, but I'm just getting at the point of at yeah. the most simple level, maybe before you call it coercion, how about right. that? You just have some task that's not going to be completely planned out because you can't plan everything out that you delegate to somebody. And as soon as the person that's been delegated that task runs into that thing and doesn't ask you what you want to know and they do something and it happens to be against what you wanted. And let's say that it, you know, restricts your freedom. That's how you get a bunch of micro things. And on when you're dealing with millions of people, this is how you get just naturally coercion is going to come out of an organization. And that's why if you're against coercion of any type, I think that you are against organization. And I don't think you fully reconciled that point, in Maybe. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, the th- I have to think about what you just said. If you're against coercion of any type, you're against organization. Because you have micro, if on, a, on scale, this is why scale is so important, because when you have millions of delegations, or people delegating things, you're mm-hmm. going to get some things that have, you know, just over time build up and then and and honestly again i could see plenty of scenarios where somebody does something not thinking they're being coercive but right. it happens to affect somebody that they don't even realize but i, but I don't think effect and coercion are the same thing i Whoa. it's it's no and this is my yeah i don't know what that was this is my point though is that then i agree coercion can thus start to be a little bit of a subjective thing is like it can coercion yeah. can be looked at Differently from a different perspective, one person's coercion might be another person's stupid mistake. Okay. And they just well, what what if we switch it from coercion to consent? Because that's what we've been talking about. Can I exit yes. the situation? If if yes. I can, Potent- then well, potentially, it's all fine. but but it's not that clear. Like I don't know. I mean, in the case of Chernobyl, could the people that lived in the area of Chernobyl exit the situation, even though they delegated all these tasks to give them, you know, for this? <laughs> a place to give them energy and then they just fumbled it up and they decided to do whatever a safety test when they right. shouldn't have right? right so it's like there's scenarios where yes maybe yeah, there's, there can. are externalities to people's decisions people can make mm-hmm. criminal decisions yes that force other people into situations that they haven't consented to be in that's what like i would consider any right. decision that forces others to be in situations they don't consent to to be a criminal decision <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, Michael. All right. Yes, Michael. We'll 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 keep touching on this, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> we're breaking we're breaking ground, I think. Um, <laughs> and and this is kind of my point is that yeah. because I don't think we disagree as much, I was sort right. of being serious when I said maybe you're not an anarchist. Maybe there is something that both of us fall in line with more mm-hmm. that maybe it's not even defined yet. Maybe we're forging a new oh. system, Antushka. <laughs> I think <laughs> you're right that I'm not demand, truly demand an anarchist. criticism, democracy. I don't know, <laughs> democ anarchy. <laughs> if okay, that's sorry. what AMX is, 
Ah, democracy anarchy. <laughs> Democ anarchy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yes, let's get back to Michaels. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, so there were there were a lot of points that I that I wanted to bring up. Uh, yeah. I start a lot of stuff, so let me just go through because I mean, he has a lot of interesting just things too. Because he was being very systematic about it, he 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 raised a lot of just points that I thought mm-hmm. were would be good to discuss. So the, um, a point he makes right at the beginning that I think is an important point is that when people write about democracy, specifically in the West today, there's sort of an assumption that it's a good thing. And so we should be doing whatever we can right. to preserve or build or maintain democracy. Right. And so what I think, it's interesting that he kind of comes out sort of in favor of democracy at the end. Um, because I think it is, it is a strange assumption that democracy is just sort of a word that means good stuff. And uh, I think that that's, it's an important assumption to tackle. And I feel like not that many people do. And what's interesting is I feel like he says that right up top and then he gives this whole argument and it sounds like it's like, oh man, democracy kind of sucks, huh? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, at the end, he's like, oh no, 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 but well, we should yeah. do these things to preserve right. democracy. Right, 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 right. Well, and it's interesting because, yeah, I agree. Uh, and Yarvin makes this point a lot: is that like we, for the longest time, democracy was sort of a laughable governing right institution, mm-hmm. and it was really just with the French Revolution and and. And the enlightenment principles right. that democracy really got, or I guess the Renaissance, right, first, but, you know, moving in where people really started wanting it. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so I, th- I think you're right. It is an interesting idea to just address the assumption that democracy is even the best system, um, right. which I don't think they necessarily did in this. I mean, Michael, Mikel, whatever his name right. is, probably does it in his book, but that wasn't right. really obviously. Yeah, there's that little bit you mentioned about right. the, the least bad, but yeah, he doesn't tackle it that. Right. Well, and, and so, I, like, what do you think of this point that I thought was interesting and, and is sort of central to his point uh, at the beginning of chapter two when he's laying out the ruling class? It, he's basically saying, and I know you like it, everybody's two fundamental things, right? Uh, this anti-formal approach leads Mosca to note, oh, I'm sorry, this is the Mosca thing, but this is, uh, I forgot. Yeah, I read the Mosca chapter oh, in nice. preparation for this. I'm sorry, okay. I forgot about that. Yeah, because because it's important, because this uh-huh. is where basically sure. Mosca's putting up this idea that there's two political classes, a ruling class, um, which is going to be uh, the minority and right. then the ruled, which is going to be the majority. And right. basically it's this idea that minorities always rule majorities. Mm-hmm. That's something Mosca talks about. What do you think of that idea? Um, well, if everything tends towards oligarchy, then that is sort of by definition true. Right. Because the CEO is always, there's, there's fewer CEOs than there are, you know, fry cooks. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, and, and I certainly... You, I mean, you, I mean. Also, reading this, do you see where a lot of my, I think, thinking comes yeah. from the anarchy stuff? I mean, this mm-hmm. is. I was making a lot of these points. I think because I read this book. Um, yeah. Because I, I think it, it, it makes sense. You know, one one thing that I think is important that a lot of people don't think about because a, words take on this weird social meaning, 
and you know minority in in general parlance mm-hmm. you know tends to mean racial or ethnic minority or something like that not always but um minority in its literal sense you can group anybody into a minority depending on what you're choosing the the sort of the defining factor is right yeah cuz probably yeah. you know you're you're pretty tall you're probably in a minority if you think about percentiles of height mhm in a weird way yeah Thank you for telling everybody that, by the way. Right. <laughs> we need to get that, get that out. <laughs> I am very tall. Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no. Um, no. Uh, yes. Because nobody, nobody groups anybody that way. But. Right, right. Though we should. I agree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, I, I see what you're saying, though. I, could, I feel like you could say the same thing about majorities. You're just getting at the point that you just group things with Right. The reason I'm saying this is talking about majorities and minorities uh, is is risky because it's sort of a catch. You can do anything you want with it. And so Mm -hmm. saying that the minority will always rule the majority. uh, It's kind of the definition is baked into it because there are fewer rulers than there are ruled. Well, and I think it's getting at the idea, and, and this is something else that I should say, because he, he says this very plainly in the Mosca chapter, and I think it's worth sort of stating what he says Machiavellians are. And he says, Machiavellians in their investigation of political behavior do not accept at face value what men say or believe or write. It's like they're just looking at what do they do mostly. And like, right. uh, so the idea is that if you're taking that assumption at face value, mm-hmm. um, they're not doing that, and that's why. I think, you know, I think that's what he's trying to say, is like everybody right. else during this time is taking the assumption that democracy is the best thing. We're not right. going to do that. We're going to just look at, you know, and, and what system could be uh, being constructed that would... Right. I think uh, that he's... Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if it's Burnham doing it. It's probably Burnham doing it, because he's writing about Machiavellians. Um, but this idea that there's just... They're just, I mean, we talked about this last time. I think he's giving a little too much credit to they're just sort of taking stock of the data and letting it fall where it may. Because they obviously have some kind of um, uh, principle, something that they're going for. Because as soon as you start talking about something being better than something else, unless you're truly talking about it in a a relative sense, which I don't think they are, uh, I think that they are displaying that they have a set of values and principles. And so maybe they're using a more scientific way of getting at those values and principles. But they're not simply just taking stock of what is and describing it. No, they're not. They're not. And we, and we sort of talked about that. Yeah. That, yeah, like the scientific method itself is a principle, right? right. Um, and, it, and, it, and it has an assumption that there are facts, right? Right. Which, so, so I agree with that. Um, but I, it's more of like, and, and this is how he posed it. I'm trying to find, he, ha, he poses it scientifically with a hypothesis. And I had the hypothesis written. Where did I write it? Um, yes. In what ways, so this is Mikhail's central question. Okay. In what ways is the realization of democracy affected by the tendencies inherent in social organization? Right. Uh-huh. So, and... Um, 
and then the answer is a, a bunch, right? Yes. And I'm just trying, here, okay. And then his hypothesis basically is that we should find uh, democracy in the unions and clubs because mm -hmm. these are comprised of the working class. He focuses on trade unions because I think the idea is democracy is inherently taking the will of the people uh, into account. You know, that's sort of what you could think of democracy as, is, right? It's aggregating right. what everybody wants. And he's making the assumption right away that democracy isn't going to actually be found uh, in a in really in any of the in any right. of the places of society um, right. in the society of today the state of dependence and this is Mikel's quote mm -hmm. that results from the existing economic and social conditions renders an ideal democracy impossible uh, this must be admitted without reserve um, in the government itself therefore and in all political parties which accept in general the existing economic and social conditions we do not and should not expect to find democracy in practice. But he says, among these elements, the first place, uh, when Michaels is uh, writing, he says, you know, but we might, uh, the, f uh, the further question ensues whether, and if so, how far within the contemporary social order, among the elements which are endeavoring to overthrow that order and to replace it by a new one, there may exist in the germ energies tendencies to approximate towards ideal democracy. And so these are the unions. So this is the hypothesis. The hypothesis is that we should find democracy in unions and clubs because these comprise of the working class and the working class are the ones where the will of the people comes from. So if democracy is truly, if the germ of democracy is truly to, to be found in this quote democratic society, right. then we need to study the unions as sort of the, the best place, right. which is why all of his examples are basically Right, but his, his examples of trade unions all how they're like messed up and they're not very democratic. Right, because he's using that to show that even within this thing that's supposed to be a pure democracy, it actually goes into all. I think he's just like wrong. Well, I think why? he's missing. Get, yeah. I think, well, I don't think he's totally wrong. I think he's right in the sense that very large organizations, it's nearly impossible for them to be sort of ideal democracies. But I don't think that social class has anything to do with it. I would say that uh, there's two of us doing this podcast and it's pretty close to a real democracy. I don't, I don't feel like one of us has some kind of massive authoritarian power over the other. I'm not saying it's, it's perfect, no, but it's, it's, just, it's, the, it's well, pretty it's, close. And, it's and so I think idea, that any, sure. any social group of, they could be super rich, they could be like eight princes and they have a hunting club that they'd go do and they just hang out together and go hunting and nobody has any real power over each other. Or it can be something like a, a union that's designed to do something in terms of societal organization. And of course that's not going to be a democracy. Democracy will, I would argue will only arise in situations where you're not talking about policy. Yeah. But do you think it's, a, do you think unions were made no. to be, democracies. So. No, I do not. I think unions were made to be economically like protective. Okay. Well, we could go into a whole thing uh, because I just don't know enough about unions, but my right. understanding is that they were a democratic answer to the, you could say, monarchistic practices right. of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that is an understanding of unions. I actually was listening to a a, a, a speech by Milton Friedman earlier this week about how uh, 
how the medical licensure si- system mm. through the I Hippocratic Oath. Yep, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, is is essentially you know the oldest trade union. Yeah, yeah, and one of the most powerful. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's that has good. nothing to do with democracy. Right. Right. It That's actually stripping democracy. Right. No, I mean, yes, yes, I agree. And this is what he gets at is that, but he's trying to say like, where can we, I mean, cause I think Michaels actually agrees with you, but right. he's just trying to say, okay, we're probably not going to find pure democracy anywhere, right. but where are we most likely to find it? That's. And I think and he's that, looking in the wrong place. Okay. Probably because so, he's a socialist. And so that's like where he gravitates. Well, towards. yeah. And, and because to his point, you know, all of these things are calling themselves, like, as he says, uh, you know, um, the democratic German socialists, right? And, right. You know, they I mean, all his have, club thing, I feel like that's closer. Like, uh, like a German friend social, group going, doing a right. book club is much closer to a democracy than sure. the United <laughs> Auto Workers. Well, but, but this is also something that could potentially be a difference between trade unions in the U.S. and, and Europe, because he's specifically talking about among what he's saying is when Michaels was writing, uh, the, he was clearly talking about a lot of the Marxist socialist parties right. and the mass trade unions. Among these, the German Social Democratic Party and the German trade unions had attained the greatest number of influence in development. And so it's the idea, though, that they are comprised of working class people who are supposedly right. the majority that are supposed to be the ones ruling the society in a democratic society. That's at least what everybody says, right? But he's just saying, okay, so yeah. let's let's look at this then um, and, and see if this is actually true. Right. Um, and obviously, yes, he, he concludes it's not because then he uses them all as fodder to right, prove right. The, the oligarchy. So, so, yeah, do you want to move to the next one or do you have any other sort of bones so this is chapter i mean i i guess i'm getting hung up on the word democracy here and i feel like it maybe it's a semantic thing Mm -hmm. um to me just because two groups of people are vying for power does not mean that they are doing anything in service of democracy um and so you have a group called the united auto workers and then you have a group called the the board of trustees of whatever Ford Motor Company and they're battling over wages. I don't see this as having anything to do with democracy. I see it as two interest groups fighting each for their own interest. Yeah, I think he would see that too. I don't Right. Like cuz that's kind of what he's getting at is like the only thing to check a leadership's power is an opposition leadership. Right. Right which you mm-hmm. could potentially look at as the trade unions to the mm-hmm. leadership of right, the right, 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 right? Yes. So I think he might agree with that, um, but I don't know. Uh, okay, so yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's actually a good sort of going into the next uh, chapter where they talk about how leadership is just this, it seems to be this natural tendency mm-hmm. to acquire. Right. Um, and so he uses sort of the technical reasons why you would need leadership to arise, but he also gives psychological reasons why us mm-hmm. as people seem to also want leaders. So right. there's like the technical reasons, meaning like once you have an organization, you are, you know, you basically need to have some kind of structure that right. runs the organization if it's sufficiently large. And mm-hmm. so this will ultimately lead to a group of leaders that right. could potentially, th- that are going to exert more control over 
everybody else mm-hmm. and also have the ability to um, establish an oligarchy, mm-hmm. right? And, and so he uses a bunch of examples for why democracy in full fails and why right. it ultimately leads to leaders. So one, one of the reasons is there's no place big enough, right, for a sufficiently large group to have everybody come and vote on something, yeah. right? Like the U.S., like you couldn't have all 300 plus million people come into one place and just vote on it. Then there's also, you know, and we talked about this, and quick the, necess- the need for quick decisions right. in certain mm-hmm. scenarios, um, the conduct, and then the conduct of the organization um, is really, I think, where you then sort of get the bureaucracy is essentially what he's talking right. about is as you develop sort of rules and practices and and things like that you start to get people that know the system and then can start to establish power more right. and consolidate power rather mm-hmm. um, and then um, and then this is how oligarchy forms so all of this leads to an oligarchy and then there's also sort of psychological reasons why we as groups tend to have leaders, um, and uh, and yeah, sorry, I'm just reading this thing by Rousseau that we should talk about. But oh yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Let me just let me just put a pin in this. Uh, but like just this idea, and you know, this I think is a little bit less less. Um, it, well, it's just difficult because it's psychology, and it's it's harder to make the argument. But mm-hmm. you know, he quotes like Machiavelli's Prince. Machiavelli talks about this where you have a group of people and you kill kill like the captains and then it's just the people don't know what to do until new captains right. are chosen to organize everybody. So right. there is there does seem to be something about us as humans that we when we're in groups are looking to people for authority to sort of tell us what to do. We could disagree with that, you know. I I mean no, I don't I don't disagree with it. I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, and then also like the leader themselves will become sort of have their own psychological metamorphosis, as I think he calls it. Um, yeah. And they'll start to essentially believe in themselves more and more. He has been pushed forward by a clearer vision, by a profound sentiment, by more ardent desire. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, so, okay. So. And then basically, uh, yeah, and, and ultimately, I think one of the fundamental psychological things that at least Burnham and Michaels, well, Burnham highlights that Michaels thinks is that he who has acquired power, this is on page 144, uh, will almost always endeavor to consolidate it and extend it to multiply the ramparts which defend mm-hmm. his position and to withdraw himself from the control of the masses. Right, right. Which I think is true because mm-hmm. I think you do see that with everybody is like we all want to get good at something so that we don't have to constantly be under somebody else's thumb. I honestly think that we're all sort of trying to get a, a relative amount of autonomy as we get older so that right. we can just do something well and not have to constantly be right. like. It's rough when that thing that you want to do well is control everybody else though. Well, yeah, it's true. No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm but I'm just saying that tendency is in yeah. everybody and and why would it not be in leaders right right so anyway uh okay so i think i i just wanted to sort of lay out his argument for why oligarchy forms because i do i mean i obviously think it it's true um and so this is all of these points among others are what leads him to conclude that in any sufficiently large organization based off of just the intrinsic 
qualities of organizing people as well as the intrinsic qualities of us, Mm -hmm. all of these would lead to an oligarchy and thus the minority would exert control over majority and thus a pure democracy at scale is never possible. It's not even close to a pure democracy at this point. Yes. Well, what we're talking about is pretty far divorced from a democracy. Uh, n- yeah, yeah. Um, in some sense, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I mean, like the where, where oligarchy takes over, the yes. the minority is ruling the majority. That's like the opposite of a democracy. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you were saying today. Now, no, I'm talking about yes, this situation. Yes. This like you know, um, this theoretical framing. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, yes, but this is where I think Michael then ends with saying that it's like even though it's probably never possible, it is the form of government that's probably the most ideal and, and what we should strive for. Because and it this does, is where I don't understand yes. why. And, <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's getting at this, I, I think it's, it, and you could almost say it's like anarchy is almost the ideal, which I think what is what he was almost saying at the end, right, um, is, is like the ideal form to strive for and which I sort of agree with is the idea of the least amount of control being exerted by others upon people if you want to call that right anarchy in its extreme where no control is being exerted on anybody then yes I think that's not a bad thing to strive for and he's saying democracy is a good thing to strive for in organizations I think because it's the idea it's just as soon democracy is empowering individuals to control society and so as you can increase that more and more, that's something good to try to strive for. But hmm. yes, you're not going to get a perfect one where everybody right. is having the same exact say on everything. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. But you can shoot for it and you can try to also, again, this is where it's like, this is where people probably won't like this, but you could look at as Trump was the ultimate you know, sort of opposition to the, mm-hmm. the oligarchy of the establishment, which is what everybody that voted for him at least appears to right. have said. I mean, he, right? That's why I wrote Trump. He's he even describing Trump. that exact right. situation about the, the leader that arises out of the right. sort of disgruntled masses ends right. up being their own. They end up developing their own uh, oligarchy through that. Right. It's just one yeah. oligarchy versus another, which is essentially what I was saying about the trade union. You know, the trade union versus the CEO, it's just two competing mm-hmm. interests. Right. And I think that, but that's the reason I think that that's significant and not bad is because I think that is basically how, that's the only way I also you don't can think combat. that's bad. Oh, okay. I think I democracy's bad. I don't think that stuff's bad. Well, but I guess the, the point is, you know, well, here's one point. I think we can agree that there's no pure form of any of these. Like every, like even monarchy and right. democracy, like everything's like a weird blend. Every, I think, government has been a weird blend of all of these, right? Right. All, all, all the forms. And even people don't even agree on how to break up. I guess God would right? be the pure monarch. Um, yeah, yes. I'm not saying that it's real. I'm saying like as as an archetype. Yes, I think so. And 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 yeah, and... And I mean, Aristotle basically thinks there's just, I think, three types of government, whereas Plato, I think, thinks there's five or six or something. I always forget. Right. Um, but yeah, Ar- Aristotle just thinks it's basically monarchy, democracy, and oligarchy. Um, or, you know, aristocracy or whatever. Right. Um, and whereas Plato's got like 
Well, it, uh, yeah, anyway. Well, it's just like democracy, but also theocracy and stuff like that. Right. Um, democracy or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know what that word is. Yeah, I didn't either, and I've already forgotten. It's like, oh. <laughs> it, but this is where I disagree because it's like it is similar, I think, to a oligarchy, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, a form of government in which possession of property is required in order to hold office. So there you go. So it's okay. what the U.S. was, you know. That's silly that that's and, its own category. That's right. Just a, exactly. That's just a brand of another thing. It's just a brand of oligarchy in my right. Opinion. It's just a way of doing it. Yes, which is yeah. why I, I do agree with Aristotle's more fundamental breakup. Right. And then so to the, the reason I brought this up is that it does, I think we can agree that there's no pure form of any government. It's always a mixture. Uh-huh. And probably the thing to be striving for is the most freedom for the individuals, which seems to be what democracy does, which is why I think Michael's right. came to that. Yeah. And again, we can agree or we can, I mean, we agree, I think, that there's no pure form of democracy right now. And most governments have failed at it um, and that we need to keep striving for it. But uh, but I I agree up until the last point. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I still don't, you know, I'm still, I'm not even convinced you're an anarchist anymore. (laughs) So I I agree with you. I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm truly an anarchist. I think if, if, if you were to lay out a whole bunch of, political philosophies, I'm probably closer to that than most others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and so maybe this is a good time to talk about the anarchy part because I, yeah, I was wondering, you've already kind of addressed it, but I thought I'd just read the on 149. Since all organization leads to autocracy, then in order to achieve democracy, there must be no organization at all, neither state nor party right. nor union. This viewpoint which the history of anarchism shows is capable of producing very noble human individuals is wholly divorced from reality of human right. society. Right, right. <laughs> in no, which no, no, I, nec- I, I, I hear which that. I read that. Which includes organizations. Yes. yes. Which yes. is why when I said society too, I was like, yeah, because society is an organization. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, a, he's smuggling democracy into anarchy. Anarchy doesn't have to be democracy. In fact. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting question. Because I wonder if it's in, in its pure form, it is. If everybody's consented to voting and agreeing that whatever the vote outcome is, uh, you'll, you'll go along with, then that yeah, seems fine. to be... That's possible. I'm not yeah. saying that you can't have a, kind of an anarchistic democracy. I'm saying that they aren't... You, you can also have a non-democratic anarchist system where nobody has any rule over anybody else. I'm not saying that this is what we, I'm not saying that's what you want or whatever. I'm just, in theory. Right. But in my head, that would be something you wouldn't want, right? You would actually probably want a more democratic anarchistic society. I don't know. Well, I think you would because it, it, because it seems to combine what you're saying of, you know, sort of not... Uh, coercing other people to do stuff. Which this is, I'm actually, by- I'm, I'm slightly, I, 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 uh, I, so you got this book, there's the idea from the book from, from Curtis Yarvin. Um, I, I wonder where he falls on, on these chapters and things like that, because I'm, I'm at least interested in the argument of well, he's yeah, coming on the podcast next week. It's good. Nice. <laughs> you can ask. The, the idea that a monarch um, actually allows for 
kind of a, a strange form of anarchism at the lower levels of society because they are not rulers of each other. They don't have a vote over each other. They don't have anything like that. And so all of the liability and all of the decision-making is on the monarch. And so if the monarch messes up, the people rise up and cut off the monarch's head or something like that. And so you end up with, you know, in kind of a funny way, the freest system because basically the monarch doesn't care about you because you don't have anything to give them. You don't have a vote in the same way that every member of Congress cares intently about every decision you make because you are in a weird way their lifeblood because they're taking your money and they're taking your votes. So why, why are you curious? So, so what I'm saying is yeah. I'm not sure that democracy is what leads to the maximum freedom. In fact, I suspect that it could be possible that democracy leads to the minimum freedom. Yeah, well, and I think that's what Curtis Jarvin would say. Right. And, and this is kind of what Michaels gets at, too, is that you are sort of, by having more freedom, you're impinging yourself more because you have more duties necessary yep, yep. Uh, to do. Thaddeus Russell writes about that at the beginning of the renegade history, the first right. two chapters, the, the freedom and slavery and the slavery mm. and freedom. Mm. Maybe we should have read those. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> If you're courageous. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> courageous after we read Nietzsche and Foucault. <laughs> I mean, he writes about the the freed slave groups that were petitioning the U.S. government right. to reinstate slavery. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like people don't want to face that. Yeah, I don't know if I want to face that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let somebody else face that. <laughs> somebody right. with more. Yeah, I mean, uh, he got fired. <laughs> Thaddeus Russell did? Oh, yeah. For that, you think? Uh, not for that. Actually, the book had been out a while, but it was just, he just was not accepted. <laughs> yeah. Teaching the wrong stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and I mean, and sorry, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm hammering you on the anarchy thing too much on this episode, but it's just because, I mean, a lot of it I thought mm-hmm. addressed what I think we were so. talking about. Um, and this was the reason I wanted to read it because just show you basically where I got all my arguments from. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, I thought you were going to say, show me the error of my ways. No, 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 no. <laughs> so no. what I'm interested in from, from you, from your perspective is what do you think the, what is the, um, the wisdom coming out of Michael's here? Like what, what do we take from it? What is, oh, yes. what's important to take from Awareness it? that oligarchy is going to happen uh-huh. regardless. I think that's just a really powerful thing because so much, I mean, myself included, so much of what many of us rail against now is the bureaucratic state in right. the U.S. But it's, an, it's understanding that this would happen in any system. It's mm-hmm. not to say that we should be content with it, but it's to understand that it's not meaning that we should throw the whole system out because that's where I just, I start to push back against when people are like, look at, you know, all of these sort of entrenched interests that have come up, uh, you know, and basically rule Washington. And my point is like, that's going to happen in any situation, any sufficiently powerful nation. So we just need to be aware of that and understand that how this, how it works and how power is transferred. And so he gives examples of how leaders are overthrown, right? And it's two kind of fundamental ways 
Mm -hmm. uh, let me find it. I, I know it's another two. I'm sorry, Antushka. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the first way, in the first place, if a and this is on page 142, in the first place, if a division occurs among the leaders, one section or both is forced to seek help from the masses of the membership and is able to organize their strength. So mm -hmm. actually you were saying, I actually think this is the Trump example. Yes. Because I would say Trump is actually part of the oligarchy and then he basically went against them, which is mm -hmm. why they hate him so much, right. and, among other reasons, obviously. And then, uh, and then, you know, went to the masses, the deplorables, and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> so the second, the opposition leader is sometimes successful in eliminating the old leadership. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. So now in the second place, that was the last sentence for the first leader. Mm -hmm. um, second is new leaders may and do arise, as it were, spontaneously out of the masses. So right. I don't know. I'm trying to think what the example, I guess Obama would be potentially what some people might say, although I know there's spontaneous. <laughs> well, he did kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, he was like 2004. But he was kind of groomed for it his whole life. He's like a Trudeau guy. That's true. Yeah, he, and he went to Harvard and everything like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Napoleon, maybe Napoleon. Maybe. I actually don't know Napoleon's biography very well. So he was born in Corsica, and it's mm -hmm. actually kind of interesting because Corsica was bought by the French monarchy mm. during uh, Napoleon's dad's time. So it, w it was like, it, you know, so it was brought into the kingdom relatively recently uh, after Napoleon was born or maybe during he was born. My memory on this is hazy. Um, so it's just interesting because then he, he was sent to the mainland to basically learn how to be a noble. But he was from, I mean, so he was obviously more aristocratic. He mm -hmm. was an aristocratic Italian, but he wasn't an aristocratic Frenchman. You know what right. I mean? And he, the, at least in the, the biography I listened to, it was talking about how he was sort of an outcast a little bit and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and yeah, so, uh, and then certainly he says that he was the will of the people and like he right. embodied the democratic revolution. I mean, he said that all the time. Right. And, and so in that sense, he certainly, manipulated that idea that he was mm -hmm. spontaneously arising around, out of the masses. Right. But fair enough. I mean, honestly, yeah, maybe, I mean, it's a good question. And I, I don't think he gives examples. He just sort of says this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. I well, because I start thinking of examples and then I start thinking like, these tend to be people who actually come from a lot of power and end up using that power to wield power over, quote, the masses. Like you think right. Che Guevara or uh, right. Lenin or uh, Castro or people like that. Actually, Lenin's a good example. Is Lenin it? is probably a very good example of, mm -hmm. of the second type because Lenin nice. was not from an aristocratic uh, mm -hmm. upbringing. He was from a very middle-class upbringing. Everybody also said how he basically had the look of a Russian peasant too. Nice. Like, which sucks for me because honestly, I think I have some Lenin. <laughs> like I look at my hairline in Lenin's and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and he was part Swedish. So, I mean, you know, for all I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah. moving on. <laughs> I, I in no way endorse Lenin, by the way. Nice. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, but he, he was very much, he wasn't part of the, the noble group and right. his you know, we talked about this. His his brother got killed by the czar and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And yeah, so so maybe Lenin and like Stalin and Mao, 
Mao's a right. good example too, uh, kind of. But anyway, okay. Um, but but uh, and then you know, yes. And I just think this is great. The existence of an opposition is the firmest and the only firm check on the autocratic tendencies of the leaders. Because that's kind of the last point is that leaders right. naturally have autocratic tendencies, as we were saying. They're going to naturally try to consolidate power and get away from the reaches of the, of the masses. I also um, liked the bit about convincing the masses that there is an opposition when there isn't, the fake opposition idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, that feels just like our current yes. government system. Yeah, yeah, manufacturing consent, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, the Michael Malice thing about how uh, conservatives are just liberals going the speed limit. <laughs> about how you can bet that everything that everybody on the left is talking about today, 10 years from now, all the Republicans will be talking about that and the Democrats will be onto something way crazier. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. So what did you think of this? I liked it. It was fun. You did? Okay. Um, I, to me, it's, it's kind of obviously true. Other than the the ending where he says, and therefore democracy is mm -hmm. what you should strive for. But that's, I mean, that's like a value difference. I agree with his, I agree with the conception that uh, all organization tends towards oligarchy and all our oligarchy will build on itself and try and gather more power. And when it says yeah, all, I yeah. don't know if it actually is all in every example, but basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to get back to your point of like, what do we do with this information? I think it's another reason why it's like potentially term limits for uh, bureaucratic people within the state. You know, it's like right now there's, you could work at the state department in a non-elected position for your, for 30 years, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually something that uh, Machiavelli writes about in The Prince he explicitly is like right. He, he he likes term limits. Yeah, exactly. I, so, well, is it is it Curtis Yarvin who doesn't like term limits? Somebody doesn't because they have an interesting argument about that. Yeah, I could see it being him if it's a, if he's a monarchist. So right, the idea that actually what term limits incentivize is taking as much power as fast as you can. Yeah. Versus uh, versus a true monarchic system that you know, is legacy. It's going to pass on to your children. You actually do not have an incentive to ruin the, your country, to pass on to your children a mess. Yeah. You have an incentive to pass something good onto them versus yeah. somebody who isn't passing anything on to anybody they care about. It's just a you know, two-year position. They're going to try and get as much as they can out of it. And it doesn't really matter if they ruin it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you could also look at it the other way, whether it's out of bad things out of malice or stupidity because it's like also the benefit to being somewhere for 30 years is you get good at the job, right? Right. And and there's, I mean, you know, expertise is basically, <laughs> I mean, if, if nobody realizes now, if you don't have expertise, that's that's right. really the name of the game. I mean, this is... It's, it's this know. other thing. Bill Burr used to joke about this. And uh, I also think it's an interesting idea because people argue that politicians get paid too much and I think it's maybe they get paid too much by the wrong sources, but probably they get paid too little for the actual job that they're doing. And so they get really good at getting money from right. other sources, but they right. don't actually value the job that they're supposed to be doing. Right. And if they got paid 
you know, they have an important job. They get paid handsomely for that job. They take pride in being able to do that job well. And it, they have less of an incentive to go sniffing around corrupt sources for money. Yeah. I mean, these are all uh, interesting thoughts and good questions. I mean, I don't know because no, we haven't no, no, tried it, so I don't know yeah, if it would work. Yeah, well, and it gets at the idea that, I mean, this is what Thomas Sowell says, there's whatever, something, there's always, it's, it's only trade-offs, basically. Any there are only, yeah, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Yeah, 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 because, because also we humans are conniving, and so any, any system you make, you're, somebody's right. going to figure out how to game it. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. unfortunate. Yes. Um, uh, but that's just the fact. So I think that's so. True. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, but I'm glad that you liked it. And and oh yeah. So the the Rousseau quote. Oh yeah, which yeah, I yeah. Thought, yeah, um, yeah. So that was interesting because you know, in some sense, I actually do think I agree with it. Um, but so it's on. Yeah, it's on 131. So we're talking about democracy. Uh, For democracy, however, the first appearance of professional leadership marks the beginning of the end. And this, above all, on account of the logical impossibility of the representative system. Right. So, excuse me. So this is basically what Rousseau is saying. Um, He defines popular government as the exercise of the general will. So, and draws from this the logical inference, it can never be alienated and the sovereign which is simply right. a collective being, can be represented only by itself. So consequently, at the moment when a people sets up representation, it is no longer free, it no longer exists, mm-hmm. and for the will of people is not transferable, not even the will of the single individual. Right. Yes. I agree. Which, yes, I know. I know <laughs> <Yeah>. you do. <laughs> but you know what Rousseau's writings led to, Mr. Antushka? <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, it's, I guess that's... No, I think that's probably pretty, pretty established that Rousseau's writings underpinned the French Revolution. Right. Um, yeah. So, but so did Locke, I would say, probably to some, <laughs> some extent. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, because I obviously don't agree with that completely. Or, or I agree with it, actually. I do agree with it. But I don't think that that's the reason not to have representation. This is the thing I, I think mm-hmm. I just accept that there's going to be some things as soon as I decide to rep, have somebody represent me that I'm just am giving up freedom uh-huh. in that sense. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it is the risk I take by living in a comfort of this society. Right. Which I'm okay with, Antushka. <laughs> I, I think... I think you're giving your, your choices a lot of credit there. I well, think you live in the society, and, and, and then, and that's not just you. I think most yeah, of us live in the society and then rationalize why that society is inevitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I don't sorry, I'm not picking on you. We no, no, I, I agree completely, but it's, you're right. It's like I have to live in, if I'm going to be happy, right, and which I am relatively right, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to reconcile this somehow logically. I mean, yeah, it's like this right. is the thing. And but I do think I think about the state of nature more than the average person, and actually try to reconcile. Like seriously, yeah. Like it's like it's just so many of these people that talk about like wanting to burn down society. I'm just like, what does that look like to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like 
how are you going to be the, are, how sure are you that you're going to survive that? Cause I think most people, right. I mean, just, just based off of the people that would die if we just stopped some of the medications that people have to take routinely, like mm-hmm. if that infrastructure alone went away, tons right. of people would die. Yep. Uh, I mean, but there's this people is, that, the problem is yeah. here. Sometimes you've put yourself in a situation, um, where there is no easy way out. Um, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily just talking about medications, but the medical establishment to me is a mess. <laughs> yes, I would agree. Regardless of where, why you think it's a mess or whose fault or whatever, yeah. it's definitely not functioning as well as it could be. No, and, and nobody's and, happy And the with fact it. that by pushing in directions to try and make mm-hmm. it function better, you're going to end up hurting people. It's a, it's a huge problem. How do you get out of that? It's 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 like a it's like the problem of enabling uh, a family member who's on drugs or something like that. And you know, if you stop paying them money, then they're going to be on the street, and that's going to hurt. Yep. It, it's this whole thing. Yeah. Well, Antushka, it would seem the way to overthrow the current medical establishment would be either for a leader within the medical establishment to arise, or a leader <laughs> within the masses to arise. Just yeah, saying. Maybe you know. Trump. Maybe Trump. He should he should try and get a job at a hospital. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. the way, this is a nonpartisan podcast, of course. We are talking I'm not about, a Trump supporter. No, yeah, me neither. But I just want everybody to be clear. We're not talking we're talking about politics meta you know, from a meta perspective here. Right. right. It. Um because uh yeah, because honestly we're millennials and we're tired of the last eight years of, tired of it. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, it's just like, it's just, I'm tired of having politics be your end-all, be-all identity. And I honestly think this is something that uh, we sort of inherited from our parents, or at least I certainly did. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to sort of fight against. So anyway, with that being said, uh, did we get through everything? I know we like went long, but I don't even yeah. know. I think we got everything, yeah. I think so. It was good, though. There were a lot of points I wanted to bring up. Um, I mean, I highlighted a lot of stuff, but I think, I mean, I think we covered most of it. I think it's, I think it's a very reasonable argument he's making. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I I was re-listening to some of the Nietzsche ones. I thought we did a good job with Nietzsche. I agree. I think that might be our best mini-series. Might be. It's doing well, too. I was also thinking that we've been doing 3-3-3. Mm-hmm. I think we can do longer and shorter. I think varying it, you know, yeah. doing an article, doing one episode on something, or if it's a really yeah. long book, doing, you know, five. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. And we don't have to be uh, set to this format. Um, yeah, because actually I had, I've, I've like been throwing a bunch of things that I want to read at you, like that one article about the, mm-hmm. the LAMO reticular activating system. Right. I don't um, know how much I'm going to be able to contribute <laughs> to that. Um, and, I read it. Uh, I go, ah, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, and then um, and also some Hildegard, Hildegard of Bingham. Yeah, I want to read some Hildegard because she. Has I'm excited a about that one. Yeah, it'll be interesting because she has a treatise on like medicine. So yeah, as far as I know, she's the first person to write about uh, the female orgasm. <laughs> really? I think so. <laughs> yeah, she writes. She writes about sex. Oh, that's cool. Which is wild. She's a nun. That is wild. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think about that. Huh. Yep. Yeah, she writes about crazy stuff. Where was uh, she born? 
I guess we'll talk about that once we get to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So do you know what you want to do? Because we're I mean, We could do some Rose Wilder Lane, maybe. Yeah, I would be down for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Uh, so I so guess- she's funny because she, uh, so she is uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's daughter. Mm-hmm. So did you read, we, we talked about this maybe. Did Little you read House that stuff in school, Little yeah, House in the yeah, Big yeah. Woods and all that? Yes. I, uh, yeah. Right. So that's I that's like, her daughter, yeah, like and she was like a massive individualist. She hung out with Ayn Rand and right. and that crowd, and she met Mises, who was her right. hero, right. and they had coffee, and then she just became disgusted at some point because something she said made her think that he supported democracy, and she <laughs> sent him this letter saying like I can no longer associate with you because yeah. I can't bring myself to be friends with somebody who would be such a socialist as to support democracy. That's hilarious. And then he was like, no, 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 you misunderstand me. I don't support democracy. <laughs> I hate democracy. <laughs> That's funny. Um, All these people. Yeah. W- would you say he was an anarchist? Mises? Like if you had taken his... Yeah, I don't know enough Prob- about him. Probably like, uh, like an ANCAP, an anarcho-capitalist, would be yeah. Yeah. probably close to Murray Rothbart, sort of that kind of thing. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to as opposed to uh, Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and the whole Chicago school, right? They're what libertarians? Yeah, I mean they're they're not anarchists. They believe yeah. in a function of government and right. a certain amount of taxation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, once you sort of know what you want to read, let me know so I can. Yeah, she it. she has a she has a book laying out her philosophy, and the the first chapter is kind of interesting because it's an argument about how we all believe in God, which is oh, not nice. something I hear from most libertarians. No. Yeah. Not at all. I don't hear that. It's a kind of an interesting argument about how I, I think we've talked about it, but sort of like action in and of itself displays mm. a belief in God. Nice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so or will. I guess I would say will, but maybe that's what she means by action. Yeah. Well, we'll have um, to read it and find yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, so that sounds good. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. What, what should we do next in this? Yeah. One? So, Pareto. I think we'll end it with Pareto. All right. Exciting. Um, what, the, what's this called? Uh, the nature of social action. Yes. So, yeah. I think he goes into. Yeah, I think he goes into all like the lions and the and the foxes again and stuff like that. Nice, cool. It's a good one. I all I remember is that this was my social my utility. One. Oh wow. Okay. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and of course it's. I think it is Pareto of the Pareto principle that you know whatever twenty percent of people do eighty percent of the work mm-hmm. stuff, um, which you could see where how the iron law of oligarchy kind of works right. into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds um, like a different way of saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, our listenership, I think it's slowly going up, actually. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we, we reached So you listeners, team. keep on, keep on yes. keeping on. and thank you. And Tell uh, your friends. They'll yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's pretty funny. When I, when, uh, when, Musicians I know are like, oh, I hear you drew a podcast. Why haven't I been on yet? And it's like, well, I don't do that one really anymore. And oh. I don't know if you want to be on this one. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Oh, well, but that's yeah. They might get people wanting to 
Come on in more. That's funny, though. So people seem, it's interesting, though, because I feel like you've told me how people have come up to you asking yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Nobody's come up to me, but, <laughs> you know, I keep it pretty DL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, that's not true. Uh, actually, I had a friend who was listening. Yeah, actually. Nice. Anyway, cool. doesn't matter, though. Um, cool. So we, all right. Well, did we, I think we did it. And, uh, mm -hmm. Well, cool. I think, and Brother X should be our first uh, Oh, yes. Guest. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, actually, I'll talk to him about that and see, because we should probably get on organizing that, maybe do it. Uh, I guess we could almost maybe do it around the holidays if you'll be in yeah. town. We're doing that show, the show that we normally do. Um, oh, oh, Christmas time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't think I'm coming up for Christmas. I thought you were. No, I'm coming up for Thanksgiving. Ah, uh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then. Okay. Too many gigs at Christmas. I get it. Uh, okay. Cool. Well, yeah, because I was just thinking of uh, in-person thing, and we should do an in-person episode. I should come uh, yeah. for the Austin or vice versa. Yep. Um, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. man. All right. All right. Sweet. See ya. Bye.